so talked about jealousy this morning, so we'll delve into that a little bit more this evening. Uh, any thoughts or uh, questions from previous weeks that have occurred to you in the last week before we get started into this week's text? Okay. So the first question there, why did Joseph's brothers hate him? Maybe, maybe one of the kids wants to help us answer this question. Braden? Okay, good. And what were some of the specific things that he did or in connection with that that, that caused his brothers not to like him? Uh, just for a second, and then we'll. Braden, you have one. What other things did Joseph tell his family that caused some of them not to like him very well? What did he see or hear, Lee? He had his dreams. And in the dreams, Joseph was going to be in charge, and they didn't like the idea of that. Any other thoughts from anyone? Why did his brothers hate him? Yeah. So definitely Jacob's favoritism and other things, yeah? Okay. 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 Good. Good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it says he's shepherding with his brothers. He's out in the field with the sheep. But then, and later in the story, he's the one going to check on them. He's not actually working, so... Um, that would have probably contributed to their, their hatred, their jealousy. So question two, I'm told, is a confusing question. Hopefully you got the point of it, which was, what sin of Jacob affected his son's attitude toward Joseph? Yeah. Um, and we kind of would have expected that he would be past that after he saw all the problems that it caused earlier on. But... Um, I think the reality is sometimes we can continue to struggle with sins periodically that we feel like we have sort of moved past and or we can be blind to sins sometimes. Uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. I saw a movement on the corner of my eye. Um, whose fault was their jealousy? I just want to talk about this for a moment because when someone does something that frustrates us, we tend to want to say, well, it's your fault you made me do this. Can we say that for Joseph's brothers? Can we say it's Jacob's fault that they were jealous? Yeah, and in terms of ultimate moral responsibility, they chose to be jealous. 
Did their father make it easier for them to do that? Yeah. I mean, he contributed to this situation clearly, but they were still responsible for how they responded. Why did jo Jacob ponder or remember Joseph's dreams? Joseph or Jacob? Uh, Joseph. We don't have any recorded, but Jacob certainly had had a dream that came true, the thing with the ladder and the angels, right? That's where he met God. So, uh, and what else is important about, what's different between then and now that would have made Jacob think, give more significance to Joseph's dreams? Okay. What do you mean by that? Mike, you had something? Well, I was just thinking, is it possible that he's pondering back on his own life, how he became head over his brother? Yeah. In the same instance, this could be happening again. The son comes to head. Let's try. Okay, good. Fine. Well, there's something to, because it was two different dreams with the same message, so that it had more significance. It wasn't just that it was a random occurrence. It was way of minute there. Yeah. I mean, Jacob only had the one dream that we saw, but if we look forward to Pharaoh's dreams, he has two dreams similar with, with the same meaning. So, and I think, I think we see that as we go on in Scripture. Like, I'm thinking about some of the visions that are given to the prophets. They would have similar ideas given with slightly different symbols, but along the same lines. And so, yeah, I think there is something to think about that. I don't know that that would occur to us if we hadn't read the end of Genesis, but I do think that that's a good point to be made. Um, good. And the point, thing I was saying this morning, God was speaking to them through dreams at this time, and so that's another reason why they were more significant to pay attention to. If you had, and just along these lines, if, if you had a dream today, and you felt like it came true, how would that affect your perspective on God speaking into your life? Like, good, bad, or otherwise, like, how would that affect your thinking about the idea of revelation and dreams and God's Word and all that? Okay. Yeah. What would be a danger, potentially, if someone says, I had this dream and it came true, and then they started paying closer attention to their, their dreams? Okay. And I would argue, again, people's experience to the contrary, it's difficult to argue with what someone else saw or experienced, right? Um, the thing, what's that? Impossible to argue against what somebody believes they... It's impossible to persuade them otherwise, right? So, yeah, um, my, my main hesitation is what often happens when people experience today say they experienced something like what Joseph or Jacob experienced, 
and then it came true is that then what often happens is the importance of what God has clearly said gets minimized and they start chasing after additional experiences because that feels like it's more relevant or, or personal or something like that. So um, the reason that I mention this is because there's people like um, there's a book called Jesus Calling and uh, it was a big deal uh, a few years back and different people were passing it around. There was a, a lady in one of the assisted living places that I was visiting. Somebody gave her a copy of it and essentially what it was was this lady was recording her experiential impressions of what God might have been saying or what she was feeling or those sorts of things and saying like this is how you're supposed to relate to God. And while it's true that we should move past something happened with Joseph, that's a historical fact, to what should I learn from this, that's different from saying God gives me a different meaning or a secret message or that sort of thing. And that's, that's the danger I think we ought to be careful to avoid. Uh, didn't want to belabor that point this morning, but I just wanted to touch on it tonight. So, uh, Number four, what was Jacob's reason for sending Joseph to check on his brother's? Okay. And why send Joseph and not a servant? Exactly. No sense in having a cool jacket if you're not going to wear it. Right? <laughs> Do you think that Jacob had a sense that Joseph would probably be loyal to him? Yeah. So, uh, there's different takes on the flow of the passage as far as the relationship between Joseph and Jacob, like, was, was Joseph giving a bad report in er, the earlier verses because he's trying to get in good with Jacob? And in my mind, he didn't need to. I mean, it's pretty clear his dad already had picked him as the favorite, so it's probably more just he had a sense of loyalty to his father. His father assumed he's going to be loyal to him in return, and so he trusts him to go. I mean, I would think, do you, you guys see anything different from... It doesn't say specifically, yes. And that's a, that's a good thing to, to come to that. So, but, yeah. It is strange that he didn't send a servant, though. Because, I mean, it wasn't like it was a mile or two away. It was his place. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, that's what I was doing. Probably the biggest question that I had after going through that is, why did that make sense? But ultimately, it would say he's done. Right. And we, it is interesting to that point that when Joseph is presumed dead and the stuff happens down in Egypt, what's his attitude toward Benjamin? You're not leaving the house, the tent. But, you know, so, because um, he's worried he's going to lose him too. Um, and yeah, I mean, some of these questions that occur to us are helpful to ponder from the perspective of thinking about interpreting the passage as in, Here's 10 different possibilities of what could be going on. Here's the ones that we think are most likely. But the ones that we're clearly supposed to get, I think, are the ones that are clearly stated in the text. And I think that's a good, good point to keep in mind that, that Paul's reminded us of. So, um, Number five, why did Reuben try to save Jacob's life? And why did he grieve when Joseph was sold into slavery? And then kind of the follow-up on that, how was he similar to Esau? Or should we think that he's similar to Esau in any way? 
Braden? Okay, that's definitely probably part of it. Paul? Yeah. Okay. Why would that be true, particularly in light of um, what had happened previously in the few chapters before? Why would he feel a, a Why would he feel potentially that he owed his father, or he needed to watch out for Joseph? Yeah, I mean he's betrayed his father already, and so. You know, you only get so many chances before he feels... I mean, again, not clearly say the text, but given what we know from the previous verses and then this verse, that probably played into his actions. Any other thoughts along this line? This question. Why did he grieve when Joseph was sold into slavery? just from a perspective of the different groups in this story, if that were the case, that would have been a little bit of a dangerous circumstance, because if it doesn't work, then he's alienated his brothers, and he's already alienated his father, so, so yeah, I mean, there's definitely some things going on here to think about. Was he similar to Esau? Do you guys, do you guys see that connection at all? Yes. Okay. And what else? What else is true? At least, right? In terms of their response to having had the birthright, losing the birthright, which we don't know if Reuben knows that he's lost the birthright at this point, but I think it's reasonable to assume that he has the idea that that probably his plan in the previous chapters didn't work. Um, what do we have clearly stated about Esau with regard to his attitude toward having lost the birthright? What's that? At first, but the passage in Hebrews, what does it say about him? He went after it with tears and, and, and sought for it again, but was not able to regain it, something like that. Which may have played into his connect, Esau's reunion with Jacob. Um, if Reuben was going through a similar experience, then his attitude toward Joseph may have not been entirely calculated and self-serving. He may have genuinely been concerned about his brother. Again, I'm not trying to go too far beyond the text. I'm just trying to get us to think about like the broad, the broad flow of the story here. Any other things on Reuben before we move on to Judah? If you leave off the coal fly, I agree with you. <laughs> Why did Judah convince the other brothers to sell Joseph into slavery? How was he or was he similar to Jacob?
Okay. Anything else? What do you think they might have assumed would happen if they sold him into slavery? They'd get rid of him. What else? Yeah. Okay. And then who's who's right? They're getting rid of him, and if he dies and can't come back to bother them, who hasn't actually done it? They haven't. So their hands are clean, right? So again, that's potentially some of the things that are that are going through going on in, in that circumstance. What was Judah similar to Jacob? Okay. I mean, the idea of wages in, was a key thing in Jacob's life. We see that in Judah's life here at this point. Yes, Braden? Are you thinking of Esau selling his birthright? Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Okay, I hadn't thought of that. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting point I hadn't thought of. Good, Mike. thought he could thwart the, the visions that he'd had. Okay. The later verses in, in Genesis, did you guys have a chance to look at those? If we had to generally characterize Judas' character, how would we describe it? Up to this point and maybe even into the next chapter or two. Right, yeah. I mean, in the next chapter, which we'll look at next week, he marries a Canaanite. There's a bunch of weird things going on in the chapter. Um, we come a little bit later, and when they are before Joseph, what is Judah's response to Joseph's request? Okay. Yeah, he offers himself up. So, I mean, I think, he, I think he has changed by that point. And the same is true of Jacob. Not, not a great person in the beginning. And the, the final point I also want to make is, what is Jacob's destiny according to God's plan? Father of many nations, ultimately an ancestor of the Messiah, um, chosen to be God's representative to some extent on earth at this point in time. What's interesting about Jacob's plan versus God's plan when it comes to Joseph versus Judah? This is like review of Old Testament history, but
Joseph becomes the father of Ephraim and Manasseh, which was part of the northern kingdom of Israel. Judah is where who is from? David and then Christ, right? Which of those two kingdoms ultimately prospered and which one ultimately fell? Both of them fell, obviously, but which one fell first and which one has more of an ongoing role? The north, Ephraim and Manasseh, descendants of Joseph, fell into sin, carried into captivity, to some extent passed off the scene. The tribe of Judah has a more important role to play from the perspective that Christ is descended from them and David was a part of their tribe and all those sorts of things. So, again, it's interesting that even in this, Jacob's scheme or Jacob's plan, even though God is not opposed to it at this point in time, does not ultimately achieve, I think, all that he had hoped for or set out to do. And so, um, like, I, I, I say those things because we might feel like, well, God just sort of goes along with Jacob's favoritism because Joseph gets the best of everything and, and Jacob kind of gets his way when it comes to Joseph. But the reality is, in terms of the long-term plan that we see unfolding in the Old Testament, God's purpose is not really going to flow through Joseph other than at this point at the end of Genesis to preserve his people. God's plan is going to flow through Judah, who is another person like Jacob who doesn't deserve it who's another sinner who needs a Messiah, from whose family the Messiah will come. Again, these things are, again, beyond the scope of this passage, but I just want to kind of lay those things out because Genesis is kind of foundational, and then it sort of has all these, all these things flowing out of it as we go through the Old Testament. So just to kind of think about those things. Any other thoughts on, like, the fact or info part of the text before we move to application? Yes. I would say just that we don't necessarily know at this point. Jacob doesn't know. Joseph doesn't know. Judah doesn't know what God's plan is, but he accomplishes it despite not telling them and them trying to do their own thing. And I think that's one of the greatest reliefs as a, a human, despite us. Yeah, so it's a comforting thing. I mean, we want to get it right, but God gets it right even when we don't. So, yeah, good. All right, the application questions. This is open to anybody, kids, adults, whoever. Who or what makes you jealous? Maggie? Okay, sin, yeah. Sin, jealousy is definitely a sin. But what sort of things, if they happened, would make you jealous of another person? Okay, yeah, someone takes your toy, right? Is that what you said? Okay, good. Braden? Okay, give me an example. Good, that's a good example. What other examples? 
Yes, Jonathan. For sure. What else? Yes, Tim. Examples? Evan? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. What's kind of a common thing that happens in part of the process of arriving at I'm going to be jealous? What do we do? You're envious because what are we doing? Comparing and coveting, right? Yeah, good, good. So if we were not comparing ourselves to someone else, it would be difficult for us to be jealous because jealousy is tied very closely to a comparison. Me, them, or me, you know, them, right? Um, We'll come back to that. Number two, what consequences have come about from jealousy in your life? Okay. What else? Yes. Okay. What's true of jealousy when the other person has no idea at all that you're even jealous of them? Who does it harm? Yeah, I mean, and it can spill over and hurt other people, but a lot of times jealousy is one of those things that we have secretly in our hearts that just sort of is kind of like if you um, get a cut on your hand and it gets infected, like someone else, let's say on your arm and it's, it's under your sleeve and no one sees it, but you know it's there and it bothers you, I mean, that's kind of what it's like. Um, there's a verse in Hebrews that talks about bitterness. Bitterness and envy and jealousy are kind of closely related sins. And so, um, I, and the New Testament has a lot to say about watching out for those. Um, any other consequences before we move on to the third question?
Okay, so jealousy is an obstacle to Christian growth. Yeah, good. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Right. Yeah. That's another of those sins that's kind of wrapped up in this one too. Good. All right. Third question. When is jealousy right? That's what we. That's how we tend to look at our sin. When I'm doing it and someone else isn't, right? What what sort of jealousy is right and proper? Touched on this a little bit this morning. selfish in what we're jealous about. Yeah. Evan? Think about Herod when he's giving his speech and the people are saying the voice of a God, not of a man. If there was any Christian standing in that crowd, that should have stirred them with some kind of jealousy that God's name was being dishonored and Herod was being exalted in place of God. Okay? Please. Oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And it, and I think it, uh, yeah, except when they're wrong, then they try to pretend like, um, yeah. Um, I think that we, we have this difficult tension of we should expect sinners to be sinners, but their sin should still bother us because it offends the holy God. And not just their sin, but our sin. And, and that's where I think jealousy can be right and proper. But why is jealousy dangerous? Those passages in Proverbs had some things to say about that. Okay. Jealousy and vengeance are closely related, right? So, I mean, this in the last long period of time has been a recurring theme for movies, right? Somebody does something, this guy is angry about it, jealous about it, stirred up about it, goes on a spree of vengeance, and you come to the end and you're like, okay, all the bad guys are gone, but where does that leave you? Like, it's not a... There's a part of us that that appeals to, but it doesn't actually accomplish justice or remove evil in the world because as much as that person tries to deal with all this wrong that's connected with what's happened to him or his family or whatever, her family, there's still evil in the world. The problem's not fixed. 
and you know, so I mean that that kind of picture, jealousy and vengeance, can be closely tied together. I was thinking there was something else in one of those two verses. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head. You know what? I you said one of those was a, a wrong reference, so that probably was. Let's see if it was an obvious mistake. Nope. Yeah, I'll have to look up and see what that one was supposed to be. But, yep, that's probably why no one's coming up with the answer that I was looking for, because I gave you the wrong verse to look at. All right. Um, why should jealousy not characterize a Christian? This one, I think, probably we... Yeah. Right. Yeah, but even what you were saying illustrates that point well, that when we make comparisons, we feel a certain way about the comparisons that are made. So, which connects into the passages in Corinthians... Why should jealousy not characterize a Christian? Think about the conflicts that were going on in the Corinthian church. Okay, good. So 1 Corinthians 13 had to be in that letter to the Corinthians because 1 Corinthians 1, they're fighting over whose teacher was the best teacher to follow and which faction was the best group to be a part of. And, and yeah, I mean, strife and envy and jealousy and all those things are tied up together. So, is that a good thing for a church or a bad thing for a church? The bad thing for a church. Why is it a bad thing in light of the fact that we are new in Christ? I think one of the other passages talked about that. Why is jealousy, why can't we be jealous if we're Christians? Or why oughtn't we be jealous if we're Christians? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Paul lists off all of these sins, and then he lists off the fruit of the Spirit, and you have things like jealousy set in contrast to things like love. And the pride versus humility, you know, all of those sorts of things. Okay. Um, what does James say about earthly wisdom and about the conflicts that come between different people in connection with jealousy? If someone's there, you could just, you just read the verse if you want. So. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Okay. Like no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. This wisdom is not that which comes from above, but is earthly, natural, divine. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every human 
Okay. So, if we see jealousy in our hearts, what's it, what is it a sign of? Yeah, we've got growing to do, right? Okay. Um, anything else from those verses? I think we kind of covered most of the main ideas. What's Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, for sure. What steps do you need to take to deal with jealousy in your heart to avoid becoming like Cain, like Jacob's sons, and or violating the command to love your neighbor as yourself? Because ultimately... The reason that jealousy is wrong is because we're not loving our neighbors ourselves, which is at the core of what God has called us to do. And as we talked about earlier, if the thing that we desire jealously is not God, then we're also violating the other part of the command, which is love God with all of who you are. And so how do we deal with jealousy so that we are obeying what God wants us to do? not something you want to let go on indefinitely, right? Okay. What else? Yes? Okay. Yeah, contentment. So if jealousy has to do with comparison, contentment has to do with the comparison of primarily eternal things versus temporal things like we've been talking about, right? And so... Um, instead of comparing myself to someone else, who should I compare myself to? Jesus. Think about Matthew 5.48. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Have I attained that? No. All of us fall short of God's glory. Therefore, to, cert to a certain extent, I have no room to be jealous because like we were talking about this morning, what do I deserve? God's punishment, for sure. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the thought that was going through? No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Okay. Okay. Well, let us know when it comes back. Um, so we have... Uh, this idea of changing what we're comparing ourselves, who we're comparing ourselves with. Instead of looking around and comparing ourselves, we had to compare ourselves with God and what He requires of us. Got it. Okay, go for it. Okay. Sure. Good. Good. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Good. Um, all right, so change the object of comparison. And then also, what ought to flow out of that is to change our attitude from pride to humility. Because we're talking about pride. I deserve this because look at me. Humility is, I don't deserve this because I've compared myself to God. So now my attitude is, 
different, yes. Good. Evan. And setting that in the context of, you know, like we've talked about in previous weeks, it's not as though we have to lie about the realities of the circumstances that we found ourselves in. Life can be hard, life can be difficult, and we might like it to be a different way. But despite all those things, we can agree with Paul that this momentary light affliction is producing an eternal weight of glory. Right? which I don't know if that's in the passage that you were talking about in the testimony. I, I think it's in second, earlier in the passage. Yeah, okay, in the book. Um, and so, again, yeah. I mean, it starts with knowing the gospel, reflecting on the gospel, acting out the gospel message, right? Um, which hopefully we, we um, came away with from this morning. What hope is there for you in light of the work God did in Jacob's sons later? What hope is there for me, Paul? Yeah. 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 And to tie in with what you were saying earlier, Tina we might look back at our lives and we might say, I wish my life had been like this, right? But what we can all say is, from this point forward, here's what God can do in my life. So I think that that is, sometimes, sometimes I think preachers and pastors have overemphasized the, here's all the things that you've done wrong, which is true. There's, we've all sinned in various ways. But we also need to remember that there's hope that from now we have opportunity. God continues to work in us. And I think that's where the thing of what God continues to do through Jacob's family, sinful, difficult, and complicated as it was, that gives us hope he can do the same in us, regardless of all the things that come through our life before.
Any other thoughts as we wrap up? So let's, uh, let's wrap up there, let's pray, and then we'll sing our closing hymn. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to look at these things. Um, I think it's really good for us to just sort of reflect further on all the things that are going on in this passage. You gave us these stories in the Old Testament, not just for us to be able to say, here's what happened in the story but hopefully to also see the point of the story, to see the um, ongoing consequences of sin, to see the hope of restoration that will come in Christ, standing where we stand and looking back on things and, and just, just seeing your hand in all of these things. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to uh, continue to think about these truths during the week. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.